I'd like to share with you the scripture this evening. We're reading from Proverbs chapter 8. Um, if you would like to follow along in the Pew Bible, it is um, on page 299 in that. And if you do not have a Bible at home and need one, please take one as a gift from Cornerstone. So Proverbs 8, in praise of wisdom. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates leading into the city, at the entrances, she cries out. To you, O men, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, gain understanding. Listen, for I have worthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true, for my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the, to the discerning, all of them are right. They are faultless to those who have knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. By me, kings reign and rulers make laws that are just. By me, princes govern and all nobles who rule on earth. I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the ways of righteousness, along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. The Lord brought me forth as the first of his works. Before his deeds of old, I was appointed from eternity, from the beginning, before the world began. When there were no oceans, I was given birth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled in place, before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the earth or its fields or any of the dust of the world, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the, seas its, the sea its boundary so the waters would not overstep his command, and when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was the craftsman at his side, I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in his presence, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For when whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord, but whoever fails to find me harms himself. All who hate me love death. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Diana. That was great. Well, it's nice to be back uh, from vacation down the Cape, Yarmouth. I guess they don't say it Yarmouth, uh, but uh, it was just a nice time to get away. And uh, I do want to say thank you to Bernie. Uh, for preaching. Uh, I listened on the Cornerstone Sermon Podcast, uh, so if you don't know about that, it's a great way on 
uh, Apple or Google to catch up on sermons, and I got to benefit from it and hear uh, Bernie today as I was driving around. So uh, thank you. It was a good message. Let me pray, and we'll get uh, started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together. Uh, thank you for everyone that's gathered here tonight uh, and our church family that couldn't. Thank you for them as well. And I pray that we would just hear your word, uh, hear from you uh, through your word and through your Holy Spirit moving in our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Anyone who doesn't know Jesus is either a simpleton or a fool. Anyone who doesn't know Jesus is either a simpleton or a fool. I know that's a shocking statement, but hear me out. You can't be wise unless you know Christ, unless you know Jesus. Or you have to know Jesus to be wise. My big idea for today, I'm giving it to you up front, but it's this. To know Jesus is to know wisdom. To know Jesus is to know wisdom. So if you want to be wise, if you want to walk through life making wise decisions, if you don't want to walk through life making foolish decisions or simple decisions, you need to know Christ Jesus. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, that seems kind of harsh. <laughs> I know plenty of people, maybe yourself included, who aren't Christians who are wise. We make wise decisions. We don't make stupid decisions. Well, I agree. Anyone apart from Christ can make a smart, intelligent, or savvy decision. But the way the Bible defines wisdom is dependent on a relationship with God. All right? So the way the Bible sets forth what wisdom is, what this thing is called wisdom, it's dependent on a relationship with God. Now, one of our previous foundation verses, so the one before uh, this one, we started it last week, but the one before it, uh, Proverbs 1.7, it goes like this. I thought maybe we could all say it together since you spent so much time memorizing it. You ready? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Maybe I shouldn't have put the slide up there and just made you say it. Uh, but you did great. Uh, this says that wisdom is dependent on fearing the Lord. So there's something about being in relationship with God that gives you wisdom. Now, in this series, I've defined wisdom two ways. I've defined wisdom as the skill of living God's way, the skill of living God's way, and I've also kind of defined it as the words and ways of God. So living according to what God says in the scriptures and living according to the ways that he lays out in scriptures. This is what wisdom is. I've been equating wisdom with knowing and obeying God and his word. But today I want to add one more way, one more definition of wisdom. Wisdom's a deep word. It's one of those words that we sometimes take for granted. And I want to add this way, knowing and obeying Jesus. That's what it means to be wise, knowing and obeying Jesus. So the people who first heard the book of Proverbs, like, could, they have, could they have met that requirement? Well, Jesus hadn't come yet right, with the original audience. 
But they were called to be in relationship with Yahweh, the fear of the Lord. It's all kind of those upper capital letters, L-O-R-D, and that stands for Yahweh. That's God's special covenant name. They were called to be in relationship with Yahweh. And we are called to be in relationship with Christ Jesus. We have the rest of the story. And so to be in relationship with Christ creates wisdom in our lives. And so today we're going to be looking at Jesus in Proverbs 8, but in all of Proverbs, in the whole book. Because the fear of the Lord in Proverbs 8 kind of points forward to the fear of Christ Jesus, to, to the, the, the respect, the, the relationship you can have with Christ Jesus. And so I want to look at a couple different things. I want to look first at how Jesus fulfills wisdom, how Jesus embodies wisdom, how Jesus is the way to wisdom, and how Jesus grants wisdom. So I want to look at those four points. And so first, Jesus fulfills wisdom. I recently read a book kind of in preparation for this series on Proverbs, uh, Trimper Longman III. That's such a great name, Trimper Longman III. Uh, he wrote a book, How to Read Proverbs. I highly recommend it if you want to dive into the book of Proverbs. So I'm using some of his points uh, that I got from his book. But the first one he starts with is this, that Jesus fulfills Scripture. And he, he talks about, so Jesus fulfilling wisdom, and how does he do that? By fulfilling Scripture. In other words, when we read the Bible, when we read the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew scriptures, somehow it's pointing to Christ Jesus. Maybe it's pointing to our need for him, that we need forgiveness, we need grace, or that we can't measure up. Maybe it's pointing to his coming, that Jesus is going to come, that Messiah figure is going to come. Maybe it's pointing to the need for a perfect life and we can't do it. Somehow it is whispering in the name of Christ Jesus. It is pointing forward to him. And Jesus himself affirms this position. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 45 say, He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. This is on the road to Emmaus. Jesus is talking to the men. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. So he's saying, I fulfill the scriptures. I fulfill that whole first half of the Bible. It is written about me. All of scripture whispers my name. And once we read the New Testament, once you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the, the rest of the, the letters, once you read those, you can't read the Old Testament the same way again. I recently watched uh, an older movie, a cult classic. I can't really recommend it, but it's an interesting movie. It's the, the movie Clue. Uh, maybe some of you have seen this old cult classic. Has anyone here seen Clue? Okay, so a couple people. So apparently it's not much of a cult classic. It's a small cult uh, made, up, <laughs> made up of you three. Uh, uh, but uh, apparently it's a, it's a very popular uh, movie. Uh, and it's based on the board game Clue. It stars Tim Curry. I don't know if you know who that is. He is the butler, and Christopher Lloyd is Professor Plum. Uh, and there's a murder. Uh, Mr. Body dies. I like that. Mr. Body dies. Uh, and all the characters, just like the board game, go back and forth to the different rooms trying to figure out who committed the murder uh, and how they did it. And, and by the end of the movie, I'll be honest, I had no idea uh, who did it. Like, if they had stopped the movie and said, all right, Jonathan, your life depends on this, I would have been body two. Uh, 
I would not have figured it out. Uh, and actually, at the end of the movie, the movie uh, kind of stops. We watched it on Amazon Prime, uh, and, it, and it plays out how it was done. And the butler, uh, played by Tim Curry, he like explains it. He's kind of the narrator. And he actually says it could have happened this way, this way, or this way. So not one or two, but three different ways. And apparently, if, when you went to the, the theater originally, uh, each theater had like a different ending. So you had to go to a different theater if you wanted to see uh, all the different endings. Uh, but you can catch them all now. Now, I've seen that once. Maybe I'll go back and watch it. But if I were to go back and watch it, do you think I would see it the same way? Do you think I would be as confused? Do you think I would have some idea of who did it? Of the answer? I, I, would, I would recognize the clues as I watched the movie. As we went through, I could say, ah, that's what makes sense. I see it now. That person is gone in this shot. This weapon's gone in that shot. There's small hints here and there. And I want us to compare that to the story of the scriptures, to the story of the Bible. See, we know the ending. Thankfully, there's not three different endings you can choose from. There is one beautiful ending. And that ending starts with Christ Jesus and the cross. And now as we read back through the Old Testament, what do we find? We find clues. <laughs> we find hints that point to Jesus, that point to this Messiah, to this coming figure to his suffering, to his divinity, to his sonship. See, Jesus, another way he fulfills wisdom, he's fulfilled the scriptures, Jesus is the wise son. The son is something that we've been talking about all throughout Proverbs. We've seen this, this theme of sonship. It's just the father speaks to his son about how to live life, how to live a wise life. And, and we see that coming to its uh, its fulfillment in Jesus. Now, shortly after Jesus was dedicated at the temple as a baby in the Gospel of Luke, we encounter these war words in Luke chapter 2. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. But right after this, maybe you know the story that comes after that. Uh, there's a story where Jesus, uh, he goes back to the temple. He goes back to Jerusalem with his family. Uh, this is around the time of 12, so there's a big gap in there. Uh, but he goes to a festival in Jerusalem. And uh, when his parents leave, Mary and Joseph, uh, they think that Jesus is traveling with like some of their extended family or friends. And they travel a whole day's journey. And then they realize Jesus isn't with them. Maybe a couple of you parents have like accidentally left your kids at church or soccer practice. <laughs> I see Mark uh, bowing his head in repentance. Uh, uh, I, we haven't done that yet uh, with Elijah, uh, hopefully never. Uh, but imagine that. Imagine traveling a whole day's journey and then having to turn around and go back a whole day's journey. I think you'd be kind of anxious. So they get back and they begin to search for three days and then finally, they find Jesus in the temple. And here we see this at the end. Uh, and after three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him, who heard Jesus, was amazed at his understanding and his answers. 
Jesus is showing his wisdom. He is demonstrating. He's sitting. He's asking questions. He is amazing people, the level of understanding and wisdom that he has. And then he goes home. And his parents, they leave. They go home. But the end of this passage in Luke ends like this in verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You can look at those other passages, Mark 6, 2, Luke eleven thirty one, 31, if you want to later. Jesus grew in wisdom because he's the wise son. I want you to stop and imagine for the moment the original uh, kind of author who started the book of Proverbs, King Solomon himself. Uh, we don't know for sure, but perhaps he's the father writing to the son. Let's imagine for a moment that he is writing to his son, the son who is going to become king. That's a good idea, right? If your son's going to have to take over this flourishing, wealthy kingdom, he needs wisdom. So he writes it down, gives it to him, teaches him. Now, his son's name was Rehoboam. But if you read the story of Rehoboam, he wasn't very wise. In fact, he caused the split between northern Israel and southern Judah, a civil war. Well, he wasn't wise at all. He was very foolish. But he has a son. Maybe Rehoboam's son will be wise, Abijah. Maybe he'll be the wise son. But if you read his story, he's not very wise either. In fact, he's actually pretty bad. How about Asa? Asa's the next son. He comes along, but he's a little bit better. He kind of falls on the the good category of king, but he's not perfect. And then another son comes, and another, and another, and another, and none of them are perfect. None of them are truly wise in the way that they need to be. They all show some foolishness. But then one day, a son comes in that same line, related to Asa and Abijah and Rehoboam and King Solomon and King David. A son comes and he is wise. And that's Jesus. Jesus is the wise son. He's the the promised king. And he's the one who encompasses this wisdom. See, to know Jesus then is to know wisdom because he's the wise son. And he fulfills what it means to be wise. Now, Jesus is so much the wise son that he doesn't just fulfill it. He actually becomes wisdom. See, Jesus actually embodies wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. Now, as we read several key verses in Proverbs 8, they speak of God's wisdom that Jesus fully embodies in the New Testament. So we we heard back in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 18 through 20, about kind of creation, God creating everything through wisdom. And this theme is expanded in Proverbs chapter 8, where we are right now, verses 22 through 31, and we're going to be spending most of our time in that text. Uh, And then Paul identifies God's creation of everything through wisdom in Colossians chapter 1. God's uh, creation of, 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 uh, God's creation through wisdom through Christ in Colossians 1. So I'm going to kind of go through that passage and we're going to look at it together. So if you look at Proverbs 8 verses 22 through 23. The Lord brought me wisdom Forth, as in the first of his works, before his deeds of old. I was formed long ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. And then Paul writes, so kind of 
pay attention to what's in these two verses. Paul writes in Colossians that Jesus was also there. So wisdom's there at the beginning of creation, and so is Jesus. Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. Now, there was this guy named Arius. Great names tonight, Odors, if you ever need other baby names, just come back uh, to this uh, sermon series. Uh, he, he lived around 300 AD, or AD 300. And he saw this passage's similarity with Proverbs chapter 8. And so he was making the connection that Jesus is wisdom. That, that's the connection that Paul wants us to make. He's trying to, to point out that, that Jesus is wisdom and that he was there at the beginning. And Arius thinks, well, the Lord brought me forth, well then the Lord must have brought Jesus forth. And so Jesus is the, like the first created being and, and then God made everything through Jesus after he made Jesus. And suddenly Jesus isn't like eternal, Jesus isn't equal with the Father and suddenly Jesus isn't really God. That's not good. <laughs> and that's where we get the Council of Nicaea in 325 that wrote the Nicene Creed that we read tonight to kind of counter this false teaching. And so we read this part, and as I read it, just like, I'm not going to read the whole thing, just this part. Hear, hear the, the, the elements from Proverbs 8 and Colossians 1 coming into it. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. So there's a point behind this creed. It was to establish that Jesus is divine, that he has always been there, whether or not you call Jesus wisdom. And I believe Jesus is wisdom, that he's wisdom embodied. So you can hear the echoes of Proverbs 8 and Colossians 1 in the Nicene Creed. And maybe you think this is boring, <laughs> but actually Mormons believe what Arius taught, Unitarians similarly, and Jehovah's Witnesses. They've all been following the path of Arius, that Jesus isn't really God. So this really actually matters. This really matters, and people are still being deceived by this. And if a Jehovah's Witness knocks on your door and says, you know, let's read Colossians 1, let's read Proverbs 8, see, Jesus is wisdom, Jesus is created, how are you going to answer? Well, uh, an apologetics organization known as Stand to Reason they taught me two reasons uh, that this is wrong. The first is that God didn't create wisdom. It's always been a part of him. This is just a logical reason. Like if, if wisdom wasn't there, like was God stupid <laughs> before he created wisdom? <laughs> no, that's not possible. Wisdom has always been a part of who God is. Number two, we should interpret unclear scriptures through clear scriptures, not the other way around. When you want to get heresy, it usually comes from using these abstract, far-off passages to kind of set main doctrines. Well, use a passage that actually talks about the clear divinity of Christ Jesus. Look at that passage that establishes that Jesus wasn't created. And we can find that pretty easily in John 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. It's talking about Jesus. See, Jesus is wisdom. Everything was created through him. But he's not created. He has always been present as the eternal son of God. Now, Paul continues to make this connection between Proverbs 8 and Christ in Colossians 1 in the, in, the, in the passage of Proverbs 8. Verses 26 through 27 say this, Before he made the world or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizons on the face of the deep. So Proverbs 8 is saying that God created the earth and the heavens through wisdom. And what does Paul say? Colossians 1.16, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. The heavens and the earth were created through wisdom. Paul says the heavens and the earth were created through Christ. Christ is wisdom embodied. Christ is wisdom in the flesh. And just a few verses earlier in Proverbs uh, chapter 8, verses 15 and 16, we, we find wisdom's rule over kings. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles all who rule on earth. And then what does Paul add about Christ in Colossians 1? Whether thrones or powers or authorities or rulers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. The message is clear. Jesus is wisdom herself. I'm all about the shocking statements tonight. Jesus is wisdom herself. That's actually a quote from Trimper Longman. I glanced at a blog that was kind of explaining this, and it didn't feel comfortable calling Jesus wisdom herself. Instead, it called Jesus wisdom itself. But you know that Jesus actually equates himself with Lady Wisdom? Jesus actually equates himself with Lady Wisdom in Matthew chapter 11. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Jesus is saying, I am wisdom in the flesh. Now, does that mean we suddenly call Jesus a woman? No. But he is saying, I fulfill this passage in Proverbs chapter 8. I fully embody the wisdom of God. What is wisdom but an attribute of who God is? That means it's part of his character. It's part of his very essence and nature. And Jesus fully encompasses the essence and nature of God himself. Jesus is wisdom in the flesh. He's wisdom incarnate. Now, it's baseball season, and I know some of you uh, enjoy the Red Sox, uh, but I was wondering if any of you have actually met like a Red Sox player. Any, any show of hands? Okay. A couple people have actually met a Red Sox player, and I bet it was a little different than hearing uh, a Red Sox game on the radio or watching a Red Sox game on the television, or even going to a game. I bet it was just a different experience to, to meet that player up close and in person. 
Maybe, I don't know, they were sweaty. They had just played a baseball game. I don't know. But it's different, right? Shaking hands with a player, having them sign your baseball. So now you're actually meeting the Red Sox in the flesh. You've watched the Red Sox, but now you're meeting the Red Sox. See, we can, we can hear about God's wisdom from afar. We can study it. We can talk about it. We can discuss it. But we have to meet it. To really be called fans of wisdom, to know wisdom, we have to be in a relationship with wisdom herself. And we do that by being in a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. To know Jesus is to know wisdom. Jesus fulfills wisdom. Jesus embodies wisdom. And Jesus is the way to wisdom. So you have to know Jesus if you want to be wise. And I actually think the big picture of the book of Proverbs points to this. See, I think all of Proverbs is in some way Christ-centered. Now, uh, we have to read Proverbs 8 in light of the macro structure of the book of Proverbs. And you know that word didn't come from me. That came from Terry Isles, uh, the macro structure. So uh, you can talk to him about this if you want. Uh, I'm trying to share a little bit of what he was teaching me. Uh, But here's like the macro structure at a very basic level. We see Proverbs 1 through 9 which is all about sort of kind of stories of wisdom, wisdom stories. And I use the stories very loosely. It's kind of a, a connected narrative. And then you get to chapters 10 through 21 or 29, and they're just sayings, right? They're, they're kind of what we think of when we think of a proverb. And then you go back to chapter 30 and 31, and you're back to more wisdom stories that kind of match, the, match uh, the, the first half of the book. And so maybe some of you have played the matching game uh, where you get a whole bunch of cards and you, you flip them face over and these are not like a deck of cards but like they have different animals on them like penguins and lions and dolphins uh, and there's two of every animal, right? And the goal is to flip over one and then try to remember where its matching card is and then if you get them both, I guess you get a point or whatever and the goal is to, to flip them all over, right? It's the matching game. Well, in Proverbs, we actually encounter something that's similar to this. See, in the first half of chapters 1 through 9, it talks about Lady Wisdom, right? And so that's like your first card. Okay, I I flipped over Proverbs chapter 1 through 9. It talks about Lady Wisdom. I want to find this theme again. Well, you can flip over Proverbs chapter 31, and what do you find? (laughs) A wise woman. You you find the, the wife who just embodies wisdom. Okay, so that's a great card. I'm going to flip over another card. This is the theme of God creating everything through wisdom. So it's the, it's the creation card. Well, if you flip over to, to Proverbs 30 through 31, I should be able to find that card, right? And we do. In fact, in Proverbs chapter 30 through 30, uh, 3 through 4, we find it. We find the matching card. It starts like this. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. So what do we see here? We see God, uh, we see the, uh, the author, actually it's a guy named Agur, <laughs> or Augur, uh, here. Uh, he is equating or paralleling wisdom and the Holy One, right? Wisdom and God. And so what is wisdom? To know God. And then here comes the creation part. 
nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One who has gone up to heaven and come down, whose hands have gathered up the wind, who has wrapped the waters in a cloak, who has established all the ends of the earth. So we see this, this theme of creation, that wisdom and God are the same thing, and then God is creating through wisdom. But wait, there's, there's a little bit more. Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is the name of his son? Surely you know. I thought we were talking about God and wisdom and creation, but suddenly Proverbs is talking about the son. The son of the Holy One. The son of God. See, the author, divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote about the promised Son of God. He wrote about the Messiah. That means God's anointed one, God's promised figure. And he wrote that, that, that the Messiah, that the Son, is going to be the way to wisdom, the way to the Holy One. Jesus fulfills wisdom. Jesus embodies wisdom. Jesus is the way to wisdom. And finally, Jesus grants wisdom. So this is what it all comes down to, right? We need, to, we need wisdom. <laughs> we need God. We need God and his presence in our lives. Do you want wisdom? Maybe you want wisdom for a, a business relationship. Or maybe you need wisdom, God's wisdom, how to navigate this God's way uh, for dealing with your aging parents. Or maybe for parenting, parenting your young child or your teenager. Or maybe you just need wisdom for your daily life. Well, God offers that. Jesus offers that. Jesus offers us wisdom for every part of our life. Jesus invites us into a relationship with him, with himself, with wisdom. See, Jesus calls the fools. He calls the simpletons. He says, come and follow me. Come and know me and become wise. Let me transform you into a wise person. Let me give you the wisdom of the ages through my words and my ways. Wisdom in Proverbs 8 says this, I love those who love me and those who seek me find me. In the New Testament, we find another verse that again extends this offer. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. If you want wisdom, just ask God for it. Just ask Jesus to be a part of your life. Ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Unfortunately, you can't have wisdom without Christ. You can't say, yeah, I want to be wise, but Jesus, get behind me. It's not how this works. Wisdom begins through a relationship with Jesus Christ that anyone can have. And how do you get that? How do you get a relationship with wisdom, with Christ? By coming to Christ and saying, I'm sorry for my sins. I'm sorry for my foolishness. <laughs> I'm sorry for my simpleness. I'm sorry for the ways that I ignore you, the ways that I intentionally ignore you and the ways that I unintentionally 
ignore you? Would you forgive me? Wisdom, would you make me wise? Jesus, would you make me wise? Jesus says, absolutely. (laughs) Be my pleasure. Be my joy. Jesus fulfills wisdom. He embodies wisdom. Jesus is the way to wisdom, and Jesus grants wisdom. And it all comes down to this point. To know Jesus is to know wisdom. I met with a pastor friend recently, and uh, we talked a lot, and we uh, exchanged prayers at the end, prayer requests. And I don't remember exactly what I asked him for, just prayer for myself as a pastor and Cornerstone. And I asked him, I remember kind of what he said. I asked him what he would like prayer for, and he said, would you pray that I love Jesus more deeply? I think he even said, like, I know this sounds cliche, but would you just pray that I am like, passionate about Christ and that I know him and love him more deeply? That's what we all need. <laughs> That's what we need. We need to love Jesus more and more. Let's pray for wisdom through Christ. Let's pray to know Christ more, to love Christ more, to be more passionate about Jesus, about the wise son. He was passionate enough about us and his father to lay down his life for us. Let's pray that that sinks deeply into our souls and that that we experience Jesus a little more every day. I think if we seek Jesus, we'll get wisdom. If we seek Jesus, we'll get wisdom. To know Jesus is to know wisdom. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Son. Thank you for the Son. Thank you that the Son was there, that all of creation came about through him. We're going to sing his praises. We're so grateful. Thank you for Jesus. I, I pray this prayer for myself, for this whole church body, for everyone in here, for those downstairs, for those that couldn't be here tonight but are part of our church. Would we know Jesus more? Would we seek Jesus more? Would we see his name whispered in the scriptures? Would we understand how it all points to Christ? Give us more of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.